You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, do this job long enough, write a sex advice column, host a sex advice podcast, and you begin to notice something. There's this pattern where occasionally, every once in a while, you'll get a whole bunch of questions about one thing. And they come in waves. Like suddenly you were getting no questions about cuckolding for a while and then you get bunches about cuckolding. And you'll get no questions about how to set up that first three-way or how to navigate that first three-way or what went wrong with that first three-way. And then suddenly you're just awash in those questions. It's like there's something in the water or the air or the zeitgeist. And I wonder if people in other helping professions have the same issue or or, or notice the same pattern that somebody who's a shrink and they're shrinking, they're shrinking people who need shrinking. And then all of a sudden they have all these new clients who basically have questions about the same topic. Well, we have witnessed another big wave here at the Savage Lovecast. Over the last few weeks, we got tons of questions about sex toys. So we decided to gather up some representatives and educators from our favorite progressive feminist women-owned or employee-owned sex toy shops across North America and have a conversation with them and share your questions with them and really take all of your sex toy questions. We're just, we're coming in big fat waves to the experts. So on today's Savage Lovecast, the entire micro edition of the Savage Lovecast is dedicated to your sex toy questions, to this wave of sex toy questions. We cover everything from dildos to cock rings to restraints to disposal to cleanliness all today on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast and on the macro edition, some bonus Q&A. First up on our cavalcade of sex toy guest experts, Cass King. She's the buyers for Women's Wear, Inc., Vancouver's pioneering sex toy store. She's been helping people find the right tool for the job for 15 years. She's also half of the Wet Spots, who write and perform fantastic, funny music, including the theme song for our What You Got segment here on the Savage Lovecast. Hey, Cass, thank you for jumping on the phone. Hi, Dan. It's great to be here. And we have a lot of ground to cover, so we're going to just get right to that first call. Hi, Dan, and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. I'm 22, straight, and getting ready to go to grad school. I have always been turned on by the idea of pegging, and I think it would be fun to try. I've been in relationships with partners who have been mildly receptive to the idea, but not to the point where we seriously thought of purchasing something together. I have imagined buying one myself, but I'm a little worried about doing this. To me, a strap-on seems like an extension of someone's body. Would it be awkward to ask a current girlfriend to use a harness which was worn by an ex-girlfriend? I guess what I'm asking is if sex toys carry emotional baggage from previous relationships. So, Cass, strap-ons are expensive. Is it awkward to ask a woman to strap on a strap-on that some other woman has strapped on before? Well, I think that every, you know, every person, every woman is going to have a different um, answer to that question. I think the key for, for this fella is to, that he's thinking about setting up his, uh, you know, buying his own setup, getting his own gear, which is great. And that um, I would encourage him to think of a strap on as two different things. One is the dildo and one is the harness. Mm-hmm. So in his case, I would say buy the dildo. 
like buy the dildo that makes your ass happy. (laughs) (laughs) And then roll it out a little bit at a time. You find that partner that wants to peg you. She doesn't have to have a harness. It doesn't need to be hands-free right from the get-go. She can hold that dildo to her pubis and, and you can play. Right. And then if she wants to invest in the harness, then you guys can go and do that together. Which is more expensive, the dildo or the harness, generally? Uh, it depends on the quality that you buy. I would say probably the dildo if you're buying silicone and a great brand like Vixen or Tantus. And you should be buying silicone. You should be buying a great brand. Don't get some cheapy thing and stick it in your body that you don't know what it's made of. It's never worth the dollar you saved in. It's not. Okay, but this has come <laughs> up frequently on the show. I've got other questions about this in the past where people think that sex toys uh, that – their new boyfriend or new girlfriend already own and have used in past relationships, have played with with other lovers. Some people feel that they have some weird energy and they're jealous of the sex toys and they ask their partners to get rid of or discard sex toys. And if someone's invested, if paid the extra dollar for the really high-quality sex toys and along comes the new girlfriend or boyfriend who's like, "Mm, yeah, you used that with your last girlfriend, so you got to throw that away, which is a standard they don't apply to your genitalia. Right, or your toilet. <laughs> yes, or your toilet. Not a sex toy, but okay, I'll go there. Or your toilet, or your shower, or your kitchen sink, or your plates, or your dishes, or your glasses, all these other things in your house, your sofa, your mattress, all these other things in your house that your ex used too. They don't require you to throw them away. So clearly people have a different feeling about the emotional baggage or energy that a sex toy can be endowed with through use. And that's good, yeah. that's good for you guys, the sex toy merchants, is it not? Well, sure. I mean, I'd love to be able to say, yes, absolutely. We support that notion. (laughs) Throw away all your toys. Terrible for the environment, but nevertheless, do it. Hey, hey, landfills Um, need love, too. (laughs) No, of course, they're just tools. This is part of our big thing at Women's Wear is we encourage people to just think of these toys as tools, like hammers and screwdrivers. Um, so, so, you know, we're, we're sort of dispassionate when it comes to this notion about, um, toys as maybe extension of your body. Mm-hmm. You, um, they are tools. You built one way. house with them. You built one orgasm with them. You can build another house and another orgasm with them for someone yeah. else. Another reason circling back to one of your earlier points to buy high quality because high quality always with insertables means something that can be sterilized. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like um, uh, silicone or stainless steel, they can both be boiled and they can be sterilized. Hello, Savage Love Cast crew. I have a question about sex toys. I am actually a 38-year-old woman. I'm straight and I haven't had a lot of sex in my life. And part of that is because I seem to have an issue with I guess the width of my vagina. I don't know if this is a chicken and egg thing. I don't. I don't know if it's 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 small because I haven't had a lot of sex. Um, but I know I know that when I've tried in the past sometimes to have sex with men, I actually can't succeed because it's so tight. And um, actually, this is a problem when I go for a pelvic exam at the doctor it's hard for them to get the speculum in and it hurts a lot. And I've actually gotten tears before. So I was wondering if there is a um, vibrator that can help me to make it bigger (laughs) or something like that. 
um, because I've actually tried a vibrator in the past, um, one of the standard ones, and I can't get it in. And so I've never actually really been able to masturbate with uh, anything phallic because of the fact that it just won't fit. Is there something that can sort of, I guess, training bra style just help my my delicate flower down there grow? So Cass, the first thing I want to cover is she says she can't have sex and has never had successful sex, but she's defining vaginal intercourse as sex and only vaginal intercourse as an arena where success is determined for her. And let's just talk about that first. Well, absolutely. There's there's all kinds of outer course and frottage and clit play and that doesn't include vaginal intercourse at all. And there's oral sex. And oral sex, of course. <laughs> How wide's your mouth? Oh, that old thing. <laughs> Mutual masturbation, which is covered, <laughs> I think, by frottage and, and clit play. There's all sorts of ways that... Even if there's no solution to this problem, there's all sorts of ways in which you can succeed sexually. And I've heard from guys over the years who have had a hard time forming relationships because with women, straight guys, because they're not into vaginal intercourse. Mm. So you also have the option of seeking out someone who, whose preference aligns with your limitation. Absolutely. But those guys are rare. Now let's talk about possible solutions. Is there a tool out there in sex toy or sex tool land that could help her? I have to say the first thing I would say to a customer that came to the store with this question is, um, have you consulted your gynecologist about this? I mean, it may be that she's got, we're not doctors and we don't offer any kind of medical advice, obviously, but Mm -hmm. there is a condition called vaginismus that is an involuntary contraction of the pelvic floor. And there's therapy that you can do for that. Um, so first, did you ask a doctor? I'm shocked um, that she's been to the doctor and had this problem with the speculum, and the doctor hasn't inquired. So you might want to ask a better doctor. You might want to get a new yeah. gynecologist who takes a takes some interest in the fact that you're ripping and bleeding while they're trying to examine you. Yeah. There's a great article on the Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists of Canada site, which is SOGC.org. And if you search vaginismus, um, that might be one place to start. My next question is, uh, and this is sort of the sex toy uh, tech support version of, uh, did you turn it off and then on again? But are you <laughs> using a lubricant? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. That really is the sex advisor equivalent of, did you try shutting your computer down and restarting it? Are you using, oh, it hurts when I have anal sex. And then you talk to that person for a long time about best anal sex practices, and then you get to at the end, well, well, we weren't using lubricant. Like, oh, yeah, maybe that was it. Yeah, yeah. Everything that moves needs lube, you know? And sometimes women feel like it's a failure or somehow it's like Viagra or something if they're using a lubricant. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, obviously lubes come in all different textures and viscosities and, you know, maybe she needs to try a different lube if she's using a lube. Because mm-hmm. um, I think the key here is relaxation. And women who don't secrete a lot of vaginal uh, juice when they get aroused shouldn't feel ashamed that, that our bodies that, 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 we, that are assembled into male genitals are also assembled into female genitals in the womb. Everyone starts off with basically the female set and then hormones come along and reassemble or assemble. And some guys produce the, a, a great deal of pre-cum, which is the sort of penis equivalent of vaginal secretions. And some guys produce very little. Yeah. So, but guys have this other marker of arousal, which is the erection itself. But a lot of women, the marker of arousal is, is wetness. 
And some yeah. women get very wet. Some women don't get very wet. They're still aroused. You still see other indications of arousal without wetness. So if you're a woman who needs to use lube, don't feel ashamed. You're not necessarily broken any more than a guy who doesn't pre-cum much is broken. Just right. get your hands on a bottle of lube. Put it beside the and bed. Sometimes women that, that do lubricate a lot, their their personal lubrication can be actually quite a, a thin or even astringent. Uh, and so, a, you know, a lubricant, a good quality lubricant from a bottle might actually help even if you do produce a lot of lubrication. One last suggestion for you, caller. Google, after you go check out, what was that website again? Let's name check it one more time, the one you recommended, Cass. SOGC.org. That's the Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists of Canada. And look up vaginosis. And you can also go to Google and Google vaginal dilators, which are basically yes. the training bra for people with vaginas that they feel are too tight, where it's a, it's a set of kind of medical dildos that go from very thin to a little wider gradually. They're like reverse Invisalign for your twat. Right? Yes, and, and I would encourage her also to look at Kegel exercises and Kegel exercising, um, either with a tool or without it. Uh, dilators are great, but I, I think I would try to get her off of the idea of stretching it and more to the idea of relaxing it. So, so you might actually need to learn to contract it and relax it as opposed to stretching it like a sock that's too tight. <laughs> They're out there, though, and I thought we should uh, mention them, but I Definitely. support your advice, too. and get too. a silicone set, not but a plastic set. Absolutely silicone, but the first place to start is a brand-new gynecologist who is not an idiot and yes. checking out vaginosis. All right, one more call cast for you. Here we go. Hey, Dan. Um, straight 30-year-old female from the East Coast. I was just wondering if you have any suggestions for restraints for beginners. Um, I should also mention that my partner and I have cerebral palsy, so our fine motor skills aren't the best of like an able-bodied person. So if you could keep that in mind when making your suggestion, that would be great. Keep up the day work. Restraints for beginners. This is something that I get in trouble for occasionally because people who are curious about bondage and just want to be a little curious about it and don't want to seem like perverts, they often want to use handcuffs and or rope, which requires a higher level of skill because you can really hurt somebody with a pair of badly applied handcuffs. If you somebody's handcuffed their hands behind their back and they're on their stomach and you roll them over onto their back, you could break a wrist or chip a bone. Handcuffs are dangerous. And so what I often recommend is, you know the scary restraints that look like, oh my God, German dungeon restraints? Those are easier to use and safer to use than the stuff that seems kinder and gentler and more vanilla restraints. But the wrinkle in this question is restraints for people who aren't necessarily as able-bodied as others. Restraints for people who sound like they have a great relationship, but they have cerebral palsy and they're working around that and also wanting to explore bondage. What would your professional sex toy merchant, a uh, sex toy educator position on that be? What would you recommend? I love this question. I love it because it's about accessibility and, and mobility and, and bondage. And I love all of that. That's great. So there's a, there are several sets, um, different brands that have Velcro restraints. So once a, once a Velcro restraint is wrapped tightly enough around your wrist, both of them, or ankles or thighs or whatever, you're not going to be able to get out of them. 
Um, so for the mobility challenge, the Velcro restraint is a great idea. They also tend to be less expensive, so that, so it sort of fits the beginner mm-hmm. uh, part of their question. Um, there's a brand called Sport Sheets that does a great line, and there's another brand called Liberator uh, that I wanted to talk about. Um, they're, they're, they have a black label line. So Liberator is known for doing these kind of foam wedges, like positioning wedges, to make your uh, sex you know, different positions more um, comfortable. So they elevate your butt or your hips or, you know, make it easier to lean on, whatever. But this black label brand of theirs actually has um, Velcro cuffs with side release buckles that can attach to the wedges themselves. So it's kind of like having a little, you know, spanking bench with a buckle on it that you can attach Velcro restraints to, but the buckles are um, side release buckles, which are, I had to look up the name for them. They're the kind you have on the backpack, you know, it just snaps in and then you squeeze both sides of it to release. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I would look up Liberator and look for Velcro cuffs. I would also, and this is a little left field, and, you know, public play and public sex parties and organized kink scenes aren't for everyone, but... I've been to enough big kink scene, kink parties, kink play events, and a lot of the people you meet there are as interested or also interested in not just their own kink or getting themselves off, but helping other people make what they want to have happen happen for them. It's yeah. weird that you'll meet people who are very invested in other people's pleasure, even if it's not theirs, even if it's not their scene, even if they don't get to participate in it, but to help facilitate somebody else's or some other couple's or some other group's thing happening for them. And so you may find if you guys go to a few munches and go to a few play parties, you may find people who are willing and able and happy to step in, help you with the bondage and step out and let you guys even be alone together in a public play space or in your own space if you come to really trust somebody and then step back in at the end or if you need help or need adjustment and then step back out. You will meet some wonderfully giving people in the organized kink scene who just want everybody to – have the fun that they want to have. That's a great suggestion. So even if, because I, you know, I'm listening to everything you say, Cass, and I, I think those are great suggestions. The Velcro restraints, the the snaps. Um, but I've I've seen some of those Velcro restraints. I've actually had a pair on, uh, which we won't go into now. But it, it can <laughs> it could require a firm grip and a lot of strength to take those off to to reopen right. them. So th- it's a great suggestion. But if uh, you, the caller, if you and your your partner. Um, if your physical strength is really limited uh, and nothing that we could suggest really would work for you, even buck- operating buckles might be difficult, think about stepping into the organized kink scene. Don't invite into your home or your space the first people you meet, the first people you interact with. But once you really get to know the scene, once you really get to meet people and know people and trust people, you may find people who really want to help you do your thing and even do it alone. Yeah. Any final thoughts on sex toys before we let you go, Cass? Uh, they are tools. They're tools, especially sex toys for women. They're they're tools primarily <laughs> to reach parts of us or to stimulate parts of us that maybe we can't even do manually. So, uh, so uh, the biggest question that we get is, you know, what if my boyfriend doesn't like it, or like it with a you know straight couples getting into it for the first time? What if we, um, you know, isn't it going to replace him? And really, I mean, this is an answer we kind of can't say in the store, but like, not if he's smart. It's just a tool. Does the guy know how to use a hammer? <laughs> you know, <laughs> he can use that hammer on you. This is a tortured metaphor, but I, you get my point. No, I totally get your point. I often use the hammer metaphor myself because we don't say to somebody who built a house, oh, did you use a hammer? You didn't really do that. The hammer did it. 
But sometimes right. we, guys will feel like, oh, we used a vibrator, so I didn't give you an orgasm. The vibrator did. No, no, no. You gave her the orgasm. The vibrator was in your hand. You did that. You built that orgasm. Oh, you built that house yeah. with that hammer? You built that house with that hammer. Yeah. Cass King, buyer for Women's Wear, Inc., Vancouver's pioneering sex toy store. Also, one half of the wet spots. Thank you so much for jumping on the phone today. It was really a blast talking to you. My pleasure. It's always a pleasure. Up next on our cavalcade of sex toy questions, Claire Cavanaugh, co-founder of Babeland, the friendly and fun sex toy boutique with locations in New York and Seattle. And you can find them online at babeland.com. Claire also co-authored Morgasm, Babeland's guide to mind-blowing sex, and she also co-authored Sex Toys 101. Hey, Claire, thanks for jumping on the phone today. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me. We have tons of questions, so we're not going to chit-chat. We're not going to say hello. We're just going to get right to them. Here we go. Hi, Dan. I have a question, a chronically single girl question. I just was curious what people do when they have old sex toys they no longer use, whether they break or just didn't do it for them. Do we just throw them in the trash? Is that like throwing a phone away, not environmentally friendly, or is there a better method, more environmental method for um, disposing of unwanted goods? Claire, does anyone get more action in this country than landfills? No, I think you're right. Think of the numbers of sex toys that are stuffed into landfills every day. Like, Oh, my God. Who can you're so up? right. Yeah, it's true. They, there is no real way that Babeland knows of to recycle any sex toy. It's, it's tragic. It is tragic. And mm-hmm. there are lots of people out there who might like to have sex toys, and lots of people who yeah. have sex toys they don't want anymore that didn't work for them. And we need some sort of like online sex toy swap Yeah, I think so. That could work with the uh, the silicone ones in particular. <clears throat> Maybe, well, definitely not the ones that aren't silicone. But the ones that are. Why is that? They're, you know, non-porous. You wash them. They're good as new. And so they're insertable and they're safe because you can sterilize them. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you don't want to sterilize the vibrating ones. So, like, the I think if we're going to start, like, a sex toy sort of lending library or something, we should go just with pure silicone, no electronics to begin with. See, I that's think what we should do. we're engaging here in an act of non-insertable sex toy erasure because not all sex toys are insertables. That is true. You have you floggers, are right about that. you have restraints, you have tit mm-hmm. clamps, you have canes, mm-hmm. you have all sorts of other things out there that people seem to regard, like somebody else's used sex toys or used restraints or used whatever, as having some kind of sex cooties on them that make them unsafe for anyone else to ever touch or ever use. But that's just not true. Yeah, you know, actually the kink community is a lot better about sharing and passing along their toys. They're, they're like swap meets at Folsom, I think. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. And maybe here. I live in New York. I think that they have that here too. But what people are worried about, I think, is the ick. The penetration factor is what adds the ick. Mm-hmm. Like the, I want something new rather than I'll take your old stuff. So that's, I think, why we went straight to dildos. There's not a lot of demand for used insertables. So maybe you can, with a clear conscience, toss those into the delighted landfill. But when it comes to other <laughs> sex toys, non-insertables, you can't give them to goodwill, but maybe contact your local kink org, maybe see who's having a munch, maybe do a little Googling where you live and see if there isn't a non-insertable sex toy swap meeting once a year or something that you can donate your no longer wanted restraints, mm-hmm. no longer wanted 
floggers, no longer wanted tick clamps, no longer wanted whatevers. Exactly. Yeah, sure. Harnesses would probably fit into that category too. This is like an opportunity. Somebody should just make it happen. Like either, like if you don't have time, get in touch with the kinks, the kinksters who, you know, do this regularly or just like make it happen yourself. That That's an opportunity, I think. Hi, Dan. I am a mid-20s queer woman in a relationship with a guy, a cisgender guy. We've been uh, experimenting recently with a glass butt plug, and it's a pretty nice one, I think. We're into it. But we both have this fear, which we <laughs> we, we realized uh, that both of us are worried that there's going to be some tear uh, during double penetration. It just feels like he, he can feel the glass up against his dick and just that wall in between seems really thin um, and I'm really worried about it ripping. But it feels really good and um, I want to keep doing it but it's kind of a turn off to think about getting a tear between my vagina and my butthole. So um, if you know anything about this if this is a real concern or if we should just relax and go for it, uh, let me know. So glass butt plug in the ass, boyfriend's dick in the vaginal canal. He can feel it. He can feel his penis bumping up against mm-hmm. that glass butt plug. Is he going to tear her? Is that a risk? Uh, no, that is not a risk. And I think that what this caller is talking about is, um, or she's imagining that, th- that this glass is the same glass that you you know, are very careful with when you drink out of it or put it on a table or something like that. That's not what a quality glass butt plug is made of. But glass, it just, it lives there in your mind. Like, oh, it's fragile. I really can't do too much with it. And, you know, even I have that. I walk in and I see these gorgeous, gorgeous dildos that are hand-blown and beautiful and have all these beautiful colors. And um, and I think, oh, glass. But I know that they're perfectly safe. It's like the same as having like a metal butt plug. Like, that's not going to shatter. Don't extrapolate from there are glass butt plugs to you can put anything glass in your ass. Don't be putting light bulbs oh, in your ass. No, <laughs> no the, the operative word is quality. You need a high quality. You've got to pay. But if you want to have that incredibly awesome glass butt plug for double penetration, it's got to be, you know, high quality. And it's not just high quality. Like, Chihuly glass plates are high quality. Don't put one in your ass. You need high quality (laughs) glass, insertable toys, things that are glass that were made for insertion play that are high quality. You can put those in your ass with a clear conscience. They're not going to crack or break because they bumped into your boyfriend's penis and they're not going to slice through you. And your boyfriend's penis, even if it's pushing hard against the walls of your vagina and pressing against that glass butt plug, is not going to rip through you because of the presence of the glass butt plug or any other butt plug. No, I mean, she's right. There is, it's not like bone or anything between the anus and the vagina. It's really flexible and quite strong. You know, thin, thin, yes, it is strong, also thin. And that's why you can get um, G-spot stimulation through anal penetration also. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, a plus. Um, so she's right. It's thin, but strong. And um, she said, she asked like, if she should just go for it, relax and go for it. I think so. And if, let's say she's got some, let's say she's concerned about whether or not this butt plug is completely smooth. She should just run her fingers over it and take care of that. 
you know, inhibition before she goes for it. And if you're really concerned, you don't have to use a glass butt plug. If nothing Claire or I say Mm -hmm. sets your mind at ease, you can go get a softer silicone sterilizable butt plug and use that instead. Mm -hmm. That is true. Hey, Dan, I have a question. My, um, my boyfriend and I have not had sex, but we're interested in playing around with dildos. Now I've never bought one before. And I was wondering if there are a way to, I guess, try them out first. If there's uh, stores that are kind of try before you buy, or do you just kind of have to buy it and see if it works? And any uh, any advice you would have about just getting into toy play with my boyfriend for the first time would be really cool. Can you take the dildos at Babeland at the retail shops in New York and Seattle? Can you go in there and test drive a dildo? Uh, no, no, you can't. Shocking. That makes me laugh a little. Yeah, no, you really can't. <laughs> you can't try on underwear or a swimsuit. Right. Or like toothbrushes, you know, something like that, right? Can I try out this toothbrush before I buy it and put it back on the shelf if I don't want it? No. Um, but, you know, when we started in Seattle, we did have plug-in vibrators in the dressing room so that people, shoppers, could go in and sort of feel how they feel on their bodies, you know, on their but, clitorises. But basically. through their clothes? Uh, you know, we don't know what went on in there. I mean, maybe through their clothes. I, I mean, we would clean them, of course, after the day was over, but we had to stop that practice. But we've never, ever had the dildo try-in room or anything like that. But if you want to try out a dildo, I think, based on so much of what we've learned about sex toys and their disposal, go to a decommissioned landfill with a shovel and start digging, and I bet you'll find all sorts <laughs> Of insertable yeah, sex you toys. really might find them. <laughs> or, I mean, I think we should probably seriously hand down our silicone toys. You know, I mean, we've talked about this before. Years ago, I was like, oh, you can't use a silicone dildo that somebody else, that you've used in another relationship, or nobody's going to use anyone else's because it has, like, the energy of the relationship in it. You know, and like, that, wait, that used to be your position? It. That used to be your position? You can't use that dildo because of the energy of the past relationship? Well, that was my explanation of why women wouldn't, uh, and men probably too, but women, were, I think we were talking about. But, you know, sage it, boil it, sage it, use it. There, there should be like a hand-me-down program. You know, there's a hand-me-down program already for insertables, which is you're going to use the dick if you have a, a dick-bodied partner, if you're with somebody who has a penis, you're going to use that dick, which was used <laughs> right. with other people. And you, right, and right you can't, which has been used by other people. And you can't mm-hmm. boil that dick. You can't toss that dick in the dishwasher, and you're going to use that. <laughs> no. <laughs> you can sage it, though. You can light your sage candle. <laughs> Before we let you go, you you've been mm-hmm. in the sex toy business, this racket, for about as long as I've been writing my sex advice column. Savage Love is now okay. in its 25th year, and Babeland is in what, its 24th, 23rd? 23rd and a half, about, yeah. So coming up on your quarter century, you will join me mm-hmm. in the Old Timers Club. Mm-hmm. What do you know now about sex toys and about working in sex, the field, the sex toy racket, what do you know now that you didn't know then that you wished you knew 23 and a half years ago when you got started? Oh, gosh. I would say we are so much more alike than we are different. That's that's what I've come to realize like in a pretty deep way in the past couple of years is that men and women kind of have the same parts, other genders. I mean, this sort of, you know, variety of genders that has 
finally gotten some sort of legitimacy in our culture mm-hmm. just proves how opposites, there are no opposites in sex. Smash the gender. everything binary. Everything's a spectrum. Yeah, bash it. <laughs> and it's so much more healthy and loving to understand it that way. And, um, and it's taking care of a lot of my, you know, fears, resentments, stuff like that. You know, to know that just like we're human, we're human. Uh, Babeland opened here in Seattle, your first store, uh, shortly after I started writing the column and the stranger. And maybe the mm-hmm. first indication that we're all so much more alike than we are different might be what we all noticed when Babeland first opened that you guys were selling strap on dildos, that you went into mm-hmm. it thinking you'd be selling them primarily or exclusively to lesbians. And mm-hmm. you did this booming business in selling strap-on dildos to heterosexual couples. And I think you were yeah, even shocked by how many straight couples you had in the store pr- Oh yeah, shopping. Yeah, we were shocked by the, the number of couples and just men. Like, we really thought we were going to open the store. Every lesbian couple would come by their dildo and then we'd go dark. You know, that would be it. <laughs> but it, we, there was, we discovered a much, much bigger you know, need for this, you know, these products in a nice environment than we ever thought. We but in could. the, you know, in the way that everyone is more like than different, we all, yeah. myself included, we all talked about strap on dildos as a lesbian sex toy mm-hmm. when Babeland first right. opened and it instantly became apparent that this was a sex toy, not a lesbian sex toy because mm-hmm. it wasn't right. just lesbians using strap on dildos. Right. And you gave it a name that everyone uses now, pegging, <laughs> for this the heterosexual. Pegging. That is, that is the name. That is one of the Savage Love Neologisms. Credit to my readers. It was a reader contest to come up with a name for that. And the readers right. came up with pegging. So, uh, well, it's got legs. It's lasted. It's going to last. The wisdom of the kinky crowd that I've gathered at Savage yeah. Love. Nailed that and Santorum and so much else. Claire Cavanaugh, co-founder of Babeland, old friend of mine from Seattle back in the day. Thank you for jumping on the phone. It's always great to talk to you. Thanks so much, Dan. Next up on the sex toy cavalcade of questions and answers, Jack Lamont, worker owner at Come As You Are in Toronto, the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. He's been working there for 15 years, going on 16 years, and uh, it's an anti-capitalist store. Isn't that right, Jack? It is. Uh, We don't make money off of what we sell, and uh, our anti-capitalist mandate means you get honest information and low, low prices. Although you guys are up in Canada, are you guys feeling the burn for Bernie Sanders? Are you burn adjacent? Do you have a ting- do you have a tingling sensation when you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that Bernie Sanders is socialist for America, uh, but I don't know. I mean, we're we're like Marxist left, you know, like we're not we're not left left. We're we're like left of Marxist. Okay, well, let's pivot to sex toys then, because I'm not sure we have time to yeah, unpack Marxism good. on my show. Yeah, I think that's, that's right on. That's right on. Let's move on. <laughs> All right, we'll get to that first question now. Hey, Dan. I was just wondering, me and my boyfriend have recently started to use some of my sex toys, or more like one of my sex toys, um, during sex. So sometimes he'll have it in one of the holes while he's in the other, and you know, it would fall out sometimes during. So I was just wondering what kind of other sex toys would you suggest that I use in order for it to stay in? Just because sometimes, depending on what position we're in, it's not always the most comfortable to keep my hand there or keep his hand holding it in. So what would, what other toys or whatever would you suggest that we use or what other things should we do? 
there's an obvious solution for one of the holes we're talking about, isn't there? Well, I mean, sure. And I have to say, you know, I, I spend a lot of time counting my orifices and I always lose count before <laughs> I get to the end. So I kind of feel like, what, there's like four or five down there? But, you know, chances are that we're not talking about a urethral opening. Um, there are toys for urethral openings now. I've seen Oh, them. there there are. And no, and I have a short list. Uh, the, the rosebud sounds would be ideal for not falling out during penetrative sex. Um, but, you know, assuming that the falling out dildo is, is one that's being placed vaginally, because if it was an anal issue, then, you know, a butt plug seems like a pretty obvious solution. And why don't, for, for beginners out there, every once in a while someone just starts listening to the show and they haven't had the butt sure. plug download, why don't butt plugs fall out? This is really 101 sex toy stuff, but why don't butt plugs fall out? You know, it's all about the stem to bulb ratio. So the more narrow the stem and the more bulbous the bulb, the less chance of the toy the toy will move at all, let alone fall out. Because the sphincter grips the stem and holds the bulb in. Exactly, as your as your asshole closes around it. Whereas if you had an anal dildo, you know, the second you come or sneeze or cough, that thing's flying to the room. <laughs> and some people make the mistake of using really skinny butt plugs, and they're shocked to find that they will shoot out too. You, can, you, you need a wider butt plug if you want to never have that butt plug fall out. Well, not fall out until you intend to remove it, but you can sneeze with a butt plug in and it can fall out. So don't buy the oh, hype that no butt doubt. plugs can't fall out because you can get the wrong kind of butt plug. The really skinny ones no, that look like fingers with a flared base, those aren't going to stay in. Yeah, go big or go home. <laughs> so how does she keep one in the other hole that she's referencing, the vaginal canal? Well, yeah, and I love just the generic, you know, he's in one hole, the dildo's in another hole. Like, is this a whole other person? Is this, you know. Um, <laughs> a hole so in the wall, a hole in your logic. Where could that other hole be? <laughs> Exactly. But let's, you know, assuming the, the most uh, simple answer is, is the correct one. You know, there's a, there's a number of toys that you could use. So, I mean, there's um, Aslan Leather, who's a, a local leather harness sex toy gear maker here in Toronto. They make uh, a dildo cuff that actually fits around a lot of strap-on harnesses. So you could use that, in fact, to leverage a dildo in place. Mm -hmm. They also make a, a product that's called the Fave Plug Holder. Uh, and it's a harness that's designed specifically to hold something in place. So you can use that anally or vaginally. just depends on how you arrange it. And uh, regardless of the gender of the person who's wearing it, it leaves you lots of room to play with other junk. So it's, it'd be a pretty ideal solution. But other than that, yeah, you, you got you to gotta hold that sucker in place. Hey, Dan, and the Tech Savvy at Rescue. I'm a 26-year-old bi female, and I had a question on dildo etiquette. I just started seeing this really great guy. He's bi also, which is awesome. Um, but we have some sex toys between the two of us, and it, it kind of occurred to me the other day that it's not as easy to test a sex toy for cleanliness like it would be to go to the clinic and get yourself tested. So I'm, I have a question. Like I said, my question is on dildo etiquette. So if he has a dildo and wants to use it on me, am I just to trust that it is clean? Are we supposed to put a condom on it? I know it's been inside of other people, probably been inside of him. And I trust him to wash it. But again, it's there's only so much that soap can do. So I was just kind of curious how you go about sharing sex toys, maybe without condoms, because again, condoms kind of take the fun out of things sometimes, which is the whole reason that we get tested in the first place, is to make sure that our genitals aren't spreading anything. But what if our sex toys 
from a previous partner, say, aren't as clean. Um, so yeah, just a quick, just a question on how you know, do we share them? Do we continue to use them on each other? Do we just go out and buy new sex toys every time we get a new partner that is interested in using them with us? It seems like an expensive habit, but also the safest. Um, yeah, it, your opinion is greatly appreciated. Thanks, Dan. Okay, Jack, what's the etiquette here? You, you know, I think it varies. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things we don't know about the dildo in question. Um, but just to cover the basics, you know, a non-porous dildo, something made of, you know, silicone, like actual silicone, um, something made of stainless steel or glass. You know, a lot of those toys can be boiled. They can be cleaned with alcohol. Uh, if you're someone who's really into your sex toys, maybe you even have an autoclave at home. So you mm-hmm. can actually properly, uh, totally sterilize, you know, your, your favorite stainless steel dildo. Uh, but otherwise, you know, Unless you're super strapped for cash, it might be nice to buy sex toys that you could use exclusively with that partner so that you don't have to wonder whether or not that toy's been cleaned before you come in contact with it. Um, and if you are totally strapped for cash, then, you know, invest in some condoms. They're not super expensive and they'll do the same job. And I have to say that the caller kind of equates whatever uh, she fears she may be exposed to on a used sex toy to uh, sexually transmitted infections. And that ain't a rational fear because whatever you might be exposed to on an inadequately cleaned sex toy, it's mostly going to be cooties or maybe some bacteria, but it's not going to be uh, a sexually transmitted infection unless it's going immediately from the other person, the other partner, right into you. If it's been sitting around and hopefully it's been cleaned, uh, you're not going to get HIV from that sex toy. You're not going to get anything most likely. Yeah, I mean, chances chances are, but I mean, you know, you just don't know the context. You know, what if your lover had sex with another lover and then, you know, threw in a Ziploc bag and came over? Like, I, you know, this may be the laziest bisexual man in the world. <laughs> Who knows? So, but, you know, I think that if this person's having any kind of questions, I, I also have to question the premise. Like, you know, this, this caller seems to think that genitals are really easy to disinfect, but I would argue that it's way easier to sterilize a sex toy than it is a genital. That is a very good point. We've been uh, showering a lot of love on non-porous sex toys on this show. Everybody has heard about now can probably chant along with us silicone, uh, stainless steel, glass. Uh, but it's important. And your Orify and the Orify of the person you're with are worth that extra money. When you think about a really quality sex toy that you're really going to use a lot, when you amateurize the use over the years and the numbers of uh, times you're going to use it, they're cheap. They're it's cheap. pennies a day. Pennies, pennies a, day. a day. And you're worth it. Yeah. Your pleasure is worth it. People do get sometimes get sticker shock in sex toy stores, yeah. particularly the ones that are not anti-capitalist, where perhaps they're trying to make a profit. They get sticker shock. And they think, oh, sure. and they go for something a little cheaper and they wind up buying something that's made out of God knows what, that has a porous surface that can't be easily cleaned or sterilized. And that's just a bad deal. You're cutting a bad deal for yourself. Absolutely. And they're honestly, they're not that expensive anymore. You know, five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you know, you couldn't get something silicone for under $100. So it's not true anymore. Even in Canadian dollars, which are basically worthless, you can get something <laughs> for under 50 bucks. Hello, Dan. This is a 22-year-old female from the Midwest. I have a question about strap-on sex and pain. Now, not the usual question. I know lube and starting slow for the receiver. I am talking about A pain I get after strap-on sex over my pubic bone. When we have vigorous strap-on sex and I am wearing the strap-on, I tend to get a bruise over my pubic bone. 
that I've kind of dealt with because, you know, you don't really use your pubic bone for much, so it's okay to have a bruise there. But now now I've ordered a kind of decorative for looksies dildo that is a good nine inches long and thicker than a beer can and weighs several pounds. Now just wearing it is slightly painful for me, and I'm kind of curious if you or any of your listeners have any answers for that. We've decided to stick a washcloth under it and it and it helps, but it kind of looks ridiculous and, you know, removes from the sexy image when you've got a washcloth sticking out. Um, if you have any suggestions or you can put it out to listeners, I'd really appreciate it. All right, Jack, this is actually a strap-on question that I've never gotten before. She's using a strap-on and it's bruising her pubis and now she sized up on dildo and it's even worse. The, the, the pain she's experiencing is even worse. Have you encountered this question before? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, whether it's folks using uh, glass dildos or firm silicone dildos, or I mean, folks who are really prone to bruising for medical and other reasons, it, it kind of happens all the time, especially if you're, you know, get super into your strap on sex. Um, there's actually a number of really good solutions. Um, again, Aslan Leather, they make a uh, attachment for harnesses called the driver's pad. And the driver's pad is, is literally just a, a padded triangle that sits between the base of the dildo and your pelvic bone. And there's another product called the Silly Saddle, S-I-L-I Saddle. And it is a piece of silicone that fits on the base side of your dildo and it sticks there. And again, provides some cushioning. Mm-hmm. But you could also look at um, some of the toys from Vixen Creations. They do a, a dildo called the Mustang Air. And it actually has a padded air-filled pocket at the base of the dildo for this exact reason. That's terrific advice. I didn't know about those pads. Before we let you go, Jack, one last question. You've been at this for almost 16 years as a worker owner at the really tremendous come as you are in Toronto. What's one thing after all these years of uh, of doing this? What's something that you wish everyone who entered the store already knew? One common fear or misconception that people typically or or, or very often uh, come in with that you you just wish people could let go of or knew better about? Yeah, I mean that is a really hard question. There's a million things I wish people knew. Um, you know, I think the the big one for me these days, I think it's just maybe grading on me in a, a particular way after 15, 16 years of doing this. You know, foreplay does not exist. Foreplay is not a thing. Um, <laughs> it just, you know, it just, it just doesn't exist. I mean, you know, it's all just play, you know? Um, and if uh, P and V sex is, is the be all and end all of play, God, there's so much more out there, folks. Mm, I completely agree. You know, c- talking about everything else is foreplay sort of posits or frames uh, PIV or PIA or P in <laughs> somewhere. Sure as the the terminus, as where you have to go or you didn't have sex. This came up with an earlier caller. She was saying that because vaginal intercourse wasn't possible for her, she couldn't have sex. And uh, me and Cass uh, were pointing out that there's tons of sex you can have, even if you can't do penetrative sex. So yeah, I I completely agree with you. We should eliminate foreplay from the sex lexicon. Precisely. I'm glad you understand. Jack Lamont, am I pronouncing your last name correctly? I should probably ask now that we're at the end of our segment. Well, you know, the way you're pronouncing it is vastly superior to the way it's actually pronounced. Uh, <laughs> it, it makes me sound vaguely French, which is uh, much more impressive. It, it's actually layman. Layman. 
Jack. Isn't that terrible? The, well, you can <laughs> you can pronounce it any way you want. Uh, you, well, my, my dad actually goes with Lamont because it's such a terrible pronunciation, but I decide to stay true. Well, Jack Lehman or Jack Lamont, worker owner at Come As You Are, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. It was a blast talking with you. I hope you come back. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'd love to talk to you again. Next up on the sex toy cavalcade, Emery Jane is a sex educator and the assistant manager and education coordinator at SheBop, which is an excellent sex toy store in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Emery, thanks for jumping on the phone. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're going to get right to it because we have so many questions today. Here we go. Hey, Dan, 23-year-old lesbian in the Midwest. I was wondering if you could talk about dildos for a second. I don't know. Me, my girlfriend and I, we went to a sex shop and we were looking at all these dildos to buy, to potentially buy, and they just all seemed like they were kind of shitty and overpriced. And, you know, I've known to look for on the back of the label if it says for novelty used only, that that's a warning sign that you should probably not use that dildo. But I don't know. I, I'm just like a little bit confused as to which direction to go and what kind of fake dong I should get. What if I get one and it's not right and I already purchased it because I saw it on the internet and, you know, you can't send it back. So I'm just a little hesitant. Um, some advice would be great about safety, about um, maybe if you have a brand that you would recommend, just kind of anything would work. Can we talk about dildos for a second? We've been talking about dildos all day. Uh, Amory, just quickly, if you want to reemphasize some points that others have already made, what kind of dildo should she get? I would recommend a silicone dildo or another non-porous material like glass. Um, if it's going to be used with a harness, silicone with a base is usually the best option. Looking for body-safe materials that say phthalate-free on the package. So if everything she's seeing in the sex toy store that she's in seems shitty and overpriced, she's in the wrong sex toy store, isn't she? I would say so, yeah. There are a lot of crappy sex toy stores out there. We are not having people on this show who work at crappy sex toy stores. But you must be aware of the shitty sex toy stores that you compete against in Portland, What's your advice for people who would rather go to the shitty sex toy store and think that they're getting value when they buy some mystery meat sex toy? Yeah, I mean, you definitely get what you pay for when it comes to sex toys. So even though places like SheBop or other progressive sex toy companies have more expensive toys, um, they're going to last longer. They're going to be body going to hold up and not make your genitals itch or you know, have a reaction. Um, so when you factor in things like infections, hospital bills, all of that, some sex toys might actually be more expensive um, than a high quality sex toy. So definitely looking like for uh, progressive female friendly sex toy shops are the way to go. The phrase she spotted on a bunch of the sex toys that she saw, it's a phrase you see out there a lot, novelty use only. That's a red flag. <laughs> Can you unpack that for us? What do sex toy companies mean when they slap novelty use only on a toy? Well, the way I kind of look at it is it's like when they put Surgeon General's warning on a pack of cigarettes. So it's the way of them not getting a lawsuit. <laughs> They're warning people like, hey, we're not going to take responsibility for how you use this. Um, so ones that are novelty use only might not be made from great materials, might not be tested for quality, usually are not tested for quality. Um, so it's kind of a way of protecting themselves, the companies that use these, uh, that make these toys. And it's an unregulated industry. 
So, And the conceit of that phrase is, hey, this is just a gag gift. This isn't something you should actually put in a mm-hmm. human's body. This is just a joke. Yeah, pretty much. So when you see novelty use only on a toy, don't buy it. That's my recommendation. Yeah, I mean, some things are going to say novelty use only um, that could probably use be used for sex toys just fine, safely. Um, but in general, for dildos, not recommended. Definitely not recommended. Hey, Dan. So I just got a cock ring to use with my boyfriend. And we tried to use it. It was really fun. And he was sort of freaked out. But anyway, it sort of fell by the wayside. We went back to it. And I was advised at Shebop. I live in Portland. And that place is amazing. But I was advised there to try and get the entire cock ring around his cock and balls. And I felt like such a tool trying to, like, shove his, I don't know, his junk in that little, like, hair tie thing. And just, we obviously, like, kept checking in with each other, are you okay? You know, I felt like I was hurting him. Long story short, it wasn't hurting him, and he thought it was fucking awesome, and the sex was great. But can you talk a little bit about using cock rings and, like, how you can use them differently and, like, what all the ways you can use them? I don't know. I just feel a little bit naive, and I don't know. I didn't feel like I got everything in it, and I'm a bit of a perfectionist, and I think I would have taken forever if I had tried to, like, put everything in there. So someone came into Shebop and bought a cock ring, and most people regard cock rings as obvious and kind of their use and how you use them properly as self-evident, but this customer left Shebop with a cock ring that I don't think she was confident about how to use. Do you want to give the cock ring 101? Yes. So firstly, at Shebop, we can always walk people through how any products work. So if they're not exactly sure, we'll definitely give them the scoop. Uh, We have a really great blog post all about cock rings on our website, too, that kind of walk people through step-by-step how to put them on. So if people are more into learning through reading, they can read it there. Um, With cock rings, I don't think that actually everybody understands that they tend to be more effective when they're around the full package. So the penis and the balls instead of just around the shaft. So it sounds like she was given that information. They can get in the way if they're around mm-hmm. the shaft, When if you're using that penis as a penetration toy. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So better they're at the back, behind the balls, around the whole package, like you said. Exactly. Yeah, and I would say... Um, the easiest thing to do is probably use a little bit of lube, especially water-based lube, to help it glide on. And if someone has hair um, and they don't want to trim it, lube is pretty important so that it doesn't tug any hair or pull anything. Um, so for comfort, use a little bit of lube. And then the balls go through the ring first, usually drop through one at a time. And then the ring is pulled over the penis. When it's semi-erect, it's going to be the easiest time to put it on. I was going to say when it's not yet erect at all is the easiest time to put it on. Yeah, with semi-erect, it's a little easier um, just to get the sizing right. Mm. Because if you put on something that's, you know, a firm ring, um, it's going to go on easiest when someone's not erect. But with a stretchy ring, it'll give, it will have that rubber band effect so much. Right. If someone's already filling up with blood, it's going to kind of keep the blood there and allow it to finish, um, becoming more erect. Whereas if it's put on completely erect, it's going to be hard for the blood to get in there to give firm erection in the first place. And it's a good point around if you're with somebody who's a grower, not a shower, and you're not familiar with their Mm -hmm. dick or how their dick works, you could wind up putting, if you wait, if you do it when they're totally soft, putting a ring that may be a little too snug on them. And then when they're fully erect, it might be hard 
difficult, if not impossible, to get that ring off. There are incidents where people have wound up in hospitals having to have two small cock rings mm-hmm. cut off their bodies. But I, mm-hmm. listening to the call, I wondered if the mistake that she made and her partner made was waiting until he was fully erect to try to put the cock ring on. And that, in most cases, you can't get the cock ring on if somebody is fully erect. The right cock ring for them, you can't get it on if they're fully erect. Exactly. Yeah, oh. it's going to be a lot harder to stretch around a erect penis than and, one that isn't erect. Mm-hmm. And what is it exactly that a cock ring does besides look awesome? What's its function? Its practical function? Yeah, it can help maintain an erection. So if people find that they lose erections or have a hard time getting an erection, keeping an erection, then it can help with that. It can also intensify orgasm and make people last a little longer as well. How does it help someone maintain an erection? How does it help you keep an erection? So it's actually going to keep the blood in the penis. Um, so it's going to, instead of the blood flowing back into the body, it's going to keep it all there, which that's what an erection is. It's when the blood is in the penis and the penis becomes engorged. So it's going to basically um, help it feel more sensitive, help it feel more engorged, might make it feel temporarily larger. Mm-hmm. And firmer. And they're a great toy for people who have uh, ED or ED panic. You know, some people are fine. They have an erection. It begins to deflate a little bit. And then they get that moment of insecurity and they're pulled out of the, the sex and they start to worry. And that really can cause the boner to go away. But with a cock ring on, if you have that moment of, you know, going a little soft, the cock ring is going to help you bridge that gap, bridge that soft gap by keeping you hard and getting you through it, getting you over that momentary hump, as it were. Exactly. Yeah. And then the vibrating ones can also be fun to add extra stimulation. So the people have options of either a stretchy cock ring, a firm cock ring, or a vibrating cock ring. Those are basically the three different options. And with the vibrating ones, they can give extra stimulation either to the person wearing them or their partner. Which sounds awesome. That sounds like the world's greatest cock ring. Yeah. <laughs> so Exactly. Five years you've been at this, five years in the sex toy and sex advice business, really, because a lot of people who work in sex toy shops, progressive, smart ones with informed and compassionate staff, you end up giving a lot of sex sex advice and sometimes relationship advice too. Absolutely. What's the one item of relationship or sex advice you find yourself giving most often at SheBob to folks who come in? It's a tough one. I mean, honestly, I feel like most of the time what I do are little tiny rapid sex therapy sessions people will come in with an issue and they'll just lay it all out and i hold space for them and help them work through the shame and then find a product that works for them and it happens really quickly instead of like over an hour span it's usually within you know five or ten minutes that we work through that um and so i think that's what we do at our shop one of the things we do best is just kind of hold space for people and help them not feel shame or embarrassment and just talk really frankly and openly about sex, sexuality, relationships, bodies, all of that. And pleasure, which is the thing that's left out of most sex advice. You could call what you do in those moments uh, micro-interventions. Exactly. Yeah, that's a really nice way of putting it. Thank you so much. Amory Jane is a sex educator and the assistant manager and education coordinator at SheBop in Portland, Oregon. Thanks for jumping on the phone. Before we let you go, where can people find SheBop online? www.shebopthashop.com and we have a whole blog post there with guides as well if people want to learn more about cock rings or dildos that we talked about today. Hey Dan, this is Bill from Buffalo. I have a question about how to best re-enter the dating scene after a prolonged absence 
for somewhat dramatic and nefarious reasons. You see, I'm currently on parole for committing a robbery. A robbery that my ex and son's mother talked me into, helped me plan, and then turned me in for after I decided to leave her. I know the details of this crazy and dysfunctional relationship will have to be carefully unpacked with anyone virtuous enough to enter a relationship with me, but I'm stuck trying to figure out how to begin searching for said virtuous person. I'm about five months removed from my sentence. I've managed to land a great job that is likely to pay me the most I've ever made, and I'm finally free from the shackles of the crazy bitch who ruined my life basically because she wanted my genetics. But regardless of the drama I'll always have to deal with for having impregnated a borderline personality case, I'm actually at the best point in my life. I feel great about who I am, where I'm going, and what I've done to make me a better and more well-rounded person, even if that includes a horribly naive decision that landed me in jail for eight months. That being said, I'm very anxious to move on with my personal life and seek female companionship, something I haven't had in almost four years because I was always afraid of what would happen if the black cloud trailing me ever caught up. So my question is twofold. How do you recommend I broach the subject of my past transgression with a potential girlfriend material? And should I even consider dating right now since I'm still going to be on parole for at least four to six months? I have a curfew that only allows deviation for work purposes and severely limits the amount of dating activity that can be done. Should I disclose my felonious status up front or should I dance around the subject until I know they might accept my past? I'm sort of leaning toward waiting, but I'm so ready to move on. I'm educated, attractive, and I feel like I have more to offer than ever before. But am I worth it right now? I'm going to accept how you characterized these events around this robbery and your imprisonment, that it was your ex's idea, that she talked you into it, that she helped you plan it, and then she turned you in when you tried to leave her and you landed in prison. That could be a convenient story. That is a story you often hear from people who've committed crimes, that they were talked into it, they were manipulated, and they're not responsible but it does sometimes happen that way. Some people are indeed set up or manipulated into doing things that under different circumstances, surrounded by different people, or if their better judgment had had a moment to intervene, they would not have done. I'm just going to accept that that is the case here with you. Your question is, how do you start dating when you've got six more months left of parole and you have this story that you have to tell to explain your imprisonment, your parole, why it's difficult to date you right now? It's impossible to do. It's impossible to do. If you're dating someone and to explain why you have to be home at 10 p.m., you have to not just tell the story of the crime you committed that landed you in prison, but then also shift all responsibility for that crime or pin all the blame for that crime on your bitch of an ex. I don't think that's going to go over well. That will make a reasonable person feel uncomfortable about you. I really think that what happened to you is something that when you tell it, the person who hears it is going to have to weigh it against what they now know about you. And so it can't be a story you tell someone immediately or you're forced by circumstances to have to tell someone immediately. And right now, because of being on parole and having this curfew, you would be forced by circumstance to bust this story out before the person had a chance to get to know you. So wait six months. That's my advice. Spend six more months jacking off before you start dating anybody. Just wait. Because when you begin to date, when there's a new person in your life, you may want to tell them that you got into some trouble with the law, you did a stupid thing, paid your debt to society, now gainfully employed, life back on track, lesson learned. Tell that version, the abbreviated version, without the X in it at all, 
until you tell them that story. That story that to many people is going to sound like a self-justifying, self-exonerating cliche. And it is a cliche. But cliches are cliches because sometimes that shit happens. And that shit happened to you. But for a person to have what they need to weigh whether what you're telling them is a cliche or a cliche and the truth, they're really going to have to know you well. And you won't have a chance to get to know somebody well if you have to tell them this the first night you're out on a date with them. They're going to bolt. They're going to run. So six more months. Focus on your job. It's great that you have a job. A lot of people who've just gotten out of prison who have a criminal conviction on their record have a terrible time landing a job. You landed a job. Pour all your energies into doing the best job that you can and keeping that job and worry about your sex life later. Uh, hey, Dan, 43-year-old male, heterosexual, I think, maybe bisexual, I'm, I don't know, after this weekend. So a couple weeks ago on your show, you had a response from a sex worker, talked about the eros.com website. So I went on there and I was actually looking at the PSTV portion of the site and Ended up hooking up this past weekend with incredibly stunning, beautiful PS woman. And it was the most amazing sex I've ever had. But stupidly, it was unprotected. You know, I brought a condom with me. But, you know, once we started making out and kissing and stuff, you know, next thing I know, I'm lying on my back and she's literally like throat fucking me with her cock and I'm loving it. And then the next thing I know, she's straddling me and I'm going, you know, she's sticking me right inside her. And, you know, 10 minutes later, she's on her back and I'm pounding her and she's jacking off and coming all over herself and then I'm pulling on coming on her and that was it. And it was like I was on a drug or something. I, I was like on, I, I just had complete amnesia about the condom. It just never even fucking entered my brain. Um, that was two nights ago. I called her last night and she assured me that she never does that. She almost, she always uses protection with her other clients and there's just something about me and, you know, I told her it was my first time. I'd never, you know, been with anybody uh, through an ad like that. And I'd never been with a transsexual before. And I'd always fantasized about it, but, you know, I never did it. So she said, you know, that it's not a problem. I got nothing to worry about. She's clean. I asked her last time she had an STI test. She said it was three months ago and that it was clean kind of freaking out right now and I don't know if I should go to a clinic and get on the PEP drugs or not. And then I guess the, the second part of this, which is as complicated uh, for me, is that, you know, I want to keep seeing her. You know, we went out to dinner afterwards and she's telling me about how some, you know, sometimes she makes these deals with certain clients where they kind of support her and you know, help her to pay her rent and things like that. And that then it's kind of like an all you can you know, eat, no pun intended kind of thing. And, you know, you save money that way. And, you know, I really like her and I want to try to support her. And 
am I just being stupid? Am I just being naive? Am I being a total fucking idiot about all this? I feel like I'm like 15 years old again, trying to figure this all out. A rule of thumb, someone who let you fuck them in the ass without a condom has probably let other people fuck them in the ass without a condom. And they have, particularly if you're panicking in front of them after having fucked them in the ass without a condom, they have an incentive to lie about it or to shade the truth. Maybe this isn't something that she does all the time, but maybe this is a slip up she makes semi-regularly. Who knows? But she has an incentive, if indeed this isn't the only time this has ever happened, to downplay how many times this has ever happened because she doesn't want you to freak out or panic and she doesn't want you to judge her or shame her for what you two did together, for the choices you two made in the moment together to not use a condom. The condoms were there. It didn't just happen. You use a lot of passive language to describe the moment. You made an active choice to have unprotected anal sex with this woman and you have to own that. And she's probably had this experience in the past where people that have made choices with her, perhaps around safety or condoms or just a choice to be with her as a trans woman, led them to some later panic meltdown where she had to spend a lot of time on the phone reassuring them. So who knows what's going on with her? I love that you took her out to dinner, that you hung out, that you want to see her again, that you're treating her like a human being and not a human flashlight. Kudos to you. But that's not what your question is about. Your question is about what kind of risk you're in. You know, best to err on the side of going to the doctor and getting on PEP post-exposure prophylaxis, a round of antiviral drugs that can prevent an infection from taking if indeed you were exposed to the virus. So go to the doctor, 43-year-old man who obviously has enough money to contemplate supporting someone, paying her rent to have unlimited access to her. You have enough money and probably health insurance. Go to the fucking doctor. Get on PEP for your own mental health, for your own sense of safety and security. But that said, the odds of her having infected you with HIV, which is probably what you're most concerned about if you're talking about PEP, during the acts that you describe are pretty slim. It is possible for someone to get HIV as the top during anal intercourse. It is possible. It's less likely. It's less HIV that I would be worried about if I were in your shoes than everything else, than syphilis, than gonorrhea, than chlamydia, than herpes, than HPV, than the whole rest of it. Those are the ones that you should be worried about. You should maybe go in for an STI screening. And as you contemplate whether or not you want to be this woman's sugar daddy, that's basically the offer she laid on the table that she would enter into perhaps if you wanted a sugar daddy relationship with you where you pay her rent and some of her expenses in exchange for easier access and cheaper access. You need to have a conversation with her about how many other clients is she going to continue to see. You shouldn't just assume that paying her rent means you will be the only person she sees. You need to ask her whether or not – if she's in this kind of relationship with you, she will need to or want to or continue to see other clients because, of course, there is risk there for you if she's going to continue to see other clients while you are paying her rent and seeing her regularly. And hey, I just want to end with I think it's wonderful that you had this amazing experience with this woman, that you felt this connection and there was clearly a lot of passion there. I'm sorry it disabled the condom putting on the dick part of your brain in that moment, although it didn't. Those were choices that you made. And I think you should be open to exploring perhaps a relationship with this woman because there's clearly something there. But you need to be clear with her about the terms and the limits 
and the others and the other clients and what's expected of you and what you have a right to demand of her and what's expected from you financially, sexually, emotionally, and what you have a right to expect or ask of her financially, sexually, emotionally if you enter into this commodified give-and-take money-sex relationship. And a final programming note, we try to avoid – and you should avoid describing people who don't have STIs as quote-unquote clean. People who have STIs are not dirty, filthy, disgusting, diseased pariahs. People who have STIs also can be clean just like people who don't. People can be free of STIs or have STIs but clean is a term we generally try to avoid in describing people's STI status. Hi, Dan. I love your show. So I am a 31-year-old straight female from the Pacific Northwest, and I am very attracted to a married older coworker. So this whole thing started five months ago when we happened to be traveling for work in the same place, and we had dinner just to catch up on how our trip was going, and we ended up talking all evening. And the conversation turned deeply emotional at one point, and I shared my recent breakup from a long-term relationship and he talked to me about his wife's affair and his struggle with their marriage. And um, he also admitted to being unfaithful in the past. So then he propositioned me to stay with him for the night. And um, even though I was tempted at the time, I was really caught off guard and declined mainly because he had gotten too drunk to offer consent. So I said, no. But since then, I haven't been able to get him out of my head. And um, we occasionally interact at work, and I've tried to be professional, but there is sexual tension between us now. And now I'm assigned to travel again at the end of the month. And again, he will be there at the same time. So I guess international travel for me has always been kind of a relief. Everything's foreign, and my real life is literally half a world away. So can't we let this thing play out in such a place? I'm really conflicted. So I don't have any other romantic interest for this man. Otherwise, I think I just really lust after him. I think he'd be a great time. And the selfish part of me being single again after a really long relationship, um, I want this to happen. So Dan, should I take the higher moral stance on someone else's marriage or... Should I just let this play out? Sounds like your attractive older coworker is slamming his hand down on the self-destruct button. Sounds like he wants maybe to have another affair, a revenge affair, to retaliate for his wife's affair and who knows how many affairs she's had. It kind of sounds like this marriage that you're fucking this dude may be imperiling is pretty fucking imperiled already. And I'm not sure how much damage – a night with you could possibly do to his marriage more damage than he and she, his wife have already done to their marriage. If I were in your shoes, in all honesty, if I was a straight lady and this guy wanted to fuck me and I believed him when he said the wife had had an affair and he'd had his affairs and their marriage is a mess and da da da, I might be so inclined as to fuck him. I might go through with it myself personally, but Hey, that's just me. You're going to have to figure out what you're comfortable with, what you're, willing to do. And you should do, as I've encouraged other people to do, do your do slash screw diligence here. This guy's on his way out. If this marriage is ending, if it's pretty much effectively over in all but name, then 
fucking him when he's on the way out the door, fucking him as this thing collapses, as this marriage collapses, isn't as big a sin as, say, fucking him when he and his wife are working really hard, the both of them together, to try to patch the marriage back up for the kids or whatever else reason they might have. So I guess I'm going to circle back to use your words. Talk to this guy. Run him to ground. What's going on in his marriage? What would fucking you potentially do if it came out. And then there's, of course, your job to think of what would happen to you if this all came out at work that you guys were fucking around on the road. And would there be repercussions for you, irrespective of whatever repercussions there might be for him, maritally, personally, on the home front, what repercussions could there potentially be for both of you at the workplace? Also something to take into consideration before you fuck this guy. And I predict that in the end you are going to fuck this guy because sex is powerful. Not that I'm giving you my permission to fuck this guy. You do not have my permission to fuck this guy. All you have is my admission that in your shoes, I would fuck the guy. And I'm saying all this knowing that a lot of people think you should never fuck a married person ever. A married person who's made a monogamous commitment. That should, you should never do that. It's always wrong. But that's not always true because sometimes people are in marriages that they want out of, they need out of, they know they need out of, but they need a catalyst. Or they need to call, they need to hand their partner, if they want their partner to do the dumping, a causus belli. They need the self-destruct button. They need someone to step in and blow it all up for them. And to be that catalyst, to be the incentive, isn't necessarily a terrible thing to be. And if not you, it will be someone else. If somebody is really out there clawing and reaching for the unforgivable betrayal that gets them out of the marriage that they want out of anyway. Yeah, they should probably just be honest about it and go get a lawyer and divorce and do it all properly. But not everybody can do it properly or wants to do it properly. Some people need the self-destruct button. They'd have to blow it all up or they'll never get out of it. And sometimes people are blowing up something that needs to be blown up. And maybe this is one of those somethings. Talk to him and figure that out before you blow him. Hi, Dan. I'm a 25-year-old heterosexual woman. I recently got out of my first real relationship out of college. Prior to this relationship, I hadn't been very experimental in bed, but this ex-boyfriend was really interested in things like anal sex and some light BDSM, um, which I found out that I really liked too, which was great. But now that I'm out of this relationship, I'm trying to understand how to approach this in new sexual encounters. So, like, I'm at a point where I don't necessarily want a relationship, but I want to keep doing these things and still feel respected. So, for example, right now I've been hooking up with this guy for a couple of weeks. And the first time we hooked up, I got some signals from him that he was into butt stuff. And I licked his asshole. And it was great and super fun. But he has since mentioned, like, having anal sex, watching porn together, coming on my face, all of which he told me he's never done before. Like, he's never done any of those things. And it's not that I'm not into those things, but I'm wondering if because I did something a little kinky the first time we hooked up, he now thinks it's okay to ask me for, you know, other things that he might want to try, maybe some of which I wouldn't be into. And I'm basically afraid that he thinks I'm like a big slut or something. And I don't really know how to navigate letting someone know that I'm into experimenting, but I only want to do it in a committed relationship. Just trying to navigate this as a young single lady that's into men and still wants to be a feminist. So licking hole 
looking someone's asshole, that's for casual. But coming on your face, that's for a committed relationship. Seems an arbitrary distinction to me, but we are allowed to make seemingly arbitrary distinctions when it comes to the sex act that we are comfortable with and with whom we are comfortable with which sex act. All you got to do, this is a case of use your words. I licked your hole, but I'm not up for absolutely anything. Let's get to know each other better and maybe – if we begin to date and we have a relationship and a rapport and I feel more comfortable with you, we can experiment with all sorts of things that you're curious about doing and I would be willing to go there as long as I have determined through the process of getting to know you post-licking your hole that you respect me as a person and that you are a feminist and that there is nothing that you're doing that is not play-acting degrading of me or diminishing of me as a human being and as a person and you still see me as an equal even if you're blowing loads on my face. Once I have determined all of that – through the process of dating you and getting to know you and entering into a relationship with you, then maybe we will proceed to blowing loads on my face in a, sta in a stately process, a, a, a slow crawl from licking your hole to blowing loads on my face. Hey, Jan. Um, I'm a 27-year-old married person from Illinois calling about episode 495 where you were talking about uh, anti-porn. I just want to say that my husband and I got into some Chatterbait and a couple of other porny websites and Snapchat stuff, and it has elevated our sex life like you wouldn't believe. So that is definitely not killing love. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Come As You Are on Twitter at Come As You Are Co. Follow Shebop on Twitter at Shebop the Shop. Follow Bayland on Twitter at Bayland underscore toys. And follow Women's Wear on Twitter at Women's Wear. Women spelled with a Y. And a big thank you to Cass, to Claire, to Jack, and Amory. I hope you all come back on the show again. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading. Hold up. 